0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports, because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan, and tonight I'm joined by Brady for a little bit of skeleton crew action. Still bringing it to you guys, though. Last night, the Georgia State Panthers defeated the Bruton Parker Barons 104-35, to giving them the largest margin of victory in men's basketball program history. And also, for the first time since 1981, a Georgia State head coach in men's basketball has won his opening game as a head coach for the program. Brady was at the game taking care of media stuff. Brady, what did you see of this game?
1: Yeah, so basically this is an NAIA team. This is a team that it's kind of a name your store type of game. Like it should be, it should have played out the way it did. So it's a game that was never really going to tell you much, but it did still tell us something. And it definitely told us more than the point exhibition game the previous week, because Coach Lanier after that game against point was not too thrilled with the defensive intensity and not too thrilled with just in general. He felt like at a certain point they saw the score and just started playing for fun instead of playing the way they need to. And his point was just that there's a certain way we have to play when it's not such a situation against such a team in a matter for having success. And that that was basically how he put it. I might be paraphrasing a bit, but um, tonight was a lot better. Uh, a lot more defensive intensity in the half court defense. Bruton Parker got held to 22% shooting three of 27 from three point and forcing 29 turnovers. And you're not going to force 29 turnovers against D one teams night in night out. Uh, You're not going to force, you're not going to have 18 steals and 14 steals night to night during the season, but it's still, that's what, that's a part of the game of what coach Ladier wants to see and especially not having to go to the press to do it this time it didn't from my eyes when i got to the game there was not almost any full court press and i think that's cuz he wanted the team to focus on the half court which he didn't think they did last time so just on the defensive
0: side i mean that's that's the takeaway there is doing what you're supposed to do so something to note uh with this first regular season game for the men's basketball team. Joe Jones, the third starting center for the Georgia state Panthers. When was the last time we had an actual center on the men's basketball team? Willie Clayton. Okay. Fair. Was he on the roster as a center?
1: Yeah.
0: Or was he he a forward? I think he was a
1: F slash C technically. I take your point though. Uh, It's, it is notable the addition of Jill, Joe Jones and Jalen Thomas to the program.
0: Jalen Thomas is listed as a forward on ESPN. I don't know if that's correct.
1: It's still size is the general right. point. I do take your point, though, because Joe Jones started and Jalen Thomas also played. They played both 24 minutes tonight, and I think that's going to continue. Um, Georgia State hasn't really had bigs like this in a while. Uh, they're different than the type of bigs that... Coach Hunter was interested in recruiting and worked for him in facets of the game. he got what he wanted from his players, but this is just different. This is the size and it's not that they're perfect players yet. They still have a lot to polish up, um, but they both have stuff that they are comfortable with already, which is really promising to see because the transition from high school to college is difficult. Uh, I'll single out each of them. I'll just say that Joe Jones just, Works hard, especially on defense, especially on the glass. Uh, And he seems to have a feel for that side of things, which he's going to get tested as a freshman doing that as we play more and more better competition. But it's encouraging to see already he seems up for that part of the game, the dirty part of the game. And then Jalen Thomas on the offensive end, he does look for a freshman big. He looks pretty polished in his game. One specific play tonight I remembered was he came down with the rebound and immediately went back up with a hook shot and went in. And it just seems like there's a starting point for each of them to grow from. And they're going to need to grow because I think that Coach Lanier is going to continue to use them in significant amount. And I think that that's the promising thing to take away for them. This is their first official game. They've officially tallied that box. And I think they quitted themselves well. And I think that there's... For each of them, it's different, but there is something to build on there for them.
0: So tonight, uh, Damon Wilson scored a career high 22 points. Seemed like a pretty dominant force on this Panthers team. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, eight of 10 from the field, four for four for three. It was interesting. In the postgame, Coach Lear mentioned that they had tinkered with Damon's shot in the offseason, uh, which I thought was funny because he was somewhere around 50% from three last year and by all accounts everything was good there but they still see so he said that they had changed something and that he had been really hard working and instant following that change and sticking with it um but i guess since he went 4 4, four i guess it was you shot 50 percent last year from three so
0: let's tinker with this and you can shoot 100 percent this year yeah it looks like a really <clears throat> balanced performance from him just looking at the stat sheet yeah the Five, only thing that
1: stood out yeah the only thing that stood yeah. out was the turnovers uh as a negative but there's a little stuff with out of sync where, where players. It might just be a thing where the more games they play together, some of this gets ironed out. I mean, the only negative you could say about the game was the 15 turnovers offensively, but mm-hmm. I think that's something that as they keep playing, they'll they'll iron out. They'll get more comfortable. Uh, they'll be able to go in transition without <laughs> sailing
0: the ball out of bounds. Right. Like like you said, it's a it's a young team, but. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's good to change things up every once in a while. And the youth freshmen are looking pretty good, at least from what we've seen so far.
1: Yeah. And the, the player who has jumped from what expectations were coming into this year was Cavante Ivory, who I saw him last year, uh, coming in and I thought that there was a chance he could replicate a little bit. Like what, like Malik Ben Levy had done when he came in, uh, Obviously that's kind of kaput now that coach Hunter's gone and it's not nearly the same system, but he's taken a leap this off season. And I don't know whether it was the new coaching staff had more answers for what to do with him or whether he, he saw the opportunity to impress the new staff when he hadn't been getting as many looks with coach Hunter's staff. but he looks really good, especially because I, I don't think he was a guy that any of us Thursday night were really necessarily expecting to be a factor. And I, definitely think that he's going to keep getting minutes
0: i would i'd have to go back and listen but i want to say david might have uh pointed him out as being a big contributor this year so if we go back and find that uh we'll give david the credit for that but i mean yeah so it looks like most of the bench contributed quite a lot uh nelson phillips coming off the bench with 17 points uh seven for 12 from the field three for five from three five rebounds an assist two blocks it's a pretty uh pretty good bench player
1: yeah i think that the starters aren't set although i would bank on you know kane's going to be a starter damon's going to be a starter Uh, i think probably joe jones is going to be set as a starter Mm -hmm. Um, but this is going to be a different situation where under coach hunter especially later in the year it got to where he was like i trust these eight guys they're gonna play a lot and he didn't really have much of a rotation uh the guys that rotated in tonight and played i think that's gonna continue i mean maybe in a regular game the minutes are gonna bump up for a guy here or there uh there's a real even division tonight and it might not be where The player who played the most minutes plays 26 minutes. But I definitely think that we're going to keep seeing the bench be a factor because I think that not only are the pieces there, but I think that Coach Lanier wants the depth and all
0: the pieces we have to be a factor rather than relying on a smaller core. So next up for the Panthers, going to the College of Charleston on Saturday. So uh, Brady, what are your thoughts going in to take on the Cougars on Saturday?
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to be the real first game that tells us a lot just because it's not only a Division One team, but the, Charleston is one of the better teams in the Colonial. Uh, they're, I think, preseason second in the Colonial, their preseason poll, and they were picked second in the Colonial preseason poll, and they actually got the most first place votes, but I guess they just got less second and third place votes, so I don't know how that works out. Uh, And then they have a really good senior guard, Grant Riller, who was the colonial preseason player of the year. He averaged about 22 a game last year. So there's going to be a real test there of the defense, specifically with one guy who can really light it up. And so this game wasn't necessarily going to, you know, you're not going to beat every team by near 70. And this is going to be a real jump in quality of opponent and going on the road. but. I am definitely intrigued. It it would be a good win to get for Georgia State Colonial opponent who might be the Colonial representative come March. So uh, I think we just need to see them cut loose see what happens.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's worth noting uh, for those listening who aren't aware, Georgia State was a previous member of the Colonial Athletic Association until they joined the Sun Belt in the 2013-2014 season. Uh, the Colonial is not a pushover league that – at least back then, they were considered to be a better mid-major league than the Sun Belt was. But the league kind of exploded, imploded, whatever you want to say. Since then, Virginia Commonwealth now in the Atlantic Ten, George Mason now in the Atlantic Ten, all pretty powerhouse colonial teams that I believe each went to a Final Four at some point while Georgia State was still in the conference. So, so soon, definitely, yeah. yeah. So definitely not a uh, opponent to shrug off for sure.
1: And it's a doubleheader, Panther action. Ball tips at 2, it'll be over. You can catch a little bit of LSU-Bama like everyone in the country wants to do. And then
0: at 5, Panthers kick off in ULM, which we're going to talk about later. So before we move on into questions, we just wanted to take a moment and recognize the Georgia State women's soccer team defeated Coastal Carolina 1-0 to move on to the second round of the Women's Soccer Championship for the conference. Congratulations, ladies. So the Panthers, who came into that tournament as a five seed, will play the number one seed South Alabama Jaguars. They will face the Jaguars at 8 p.m. on Friday in the second round of the women's soccer tournament. So good luck, ladies. Uh, let's come out of there with a win. And now moving on into questions. Uh, first question this week. Cardigan D on Twitter at the Fake Des asks, What are your initial impressions of the newly active transfers Corey Allen and Justin Roberts yeah, on the men's basketball uh, team?
1: Yeah, on the men's basketball team there. So Corey Allen came from Detroit Mercy. Justin Roberts came from DePaul. And my impressions are they're players at this level. Uh, They're both going to take some time probably to iron out their shots. That's what anyone who sits out a year after transferring usually goes through. You can't necessarily put a time period on it. I think every guy is different. But Coach Lanier is definitely expressing confidence that he thinks Corey Allen is going to be a scorer team but but beside from that I mean the shot will come eventually but Justin Roberts works incredibly hard in defense from the early action we've seen from him uh, he had steals tonight and it just was from the nature of not letting guys on the ball rest he was getting up in guys faces he was when they were you know bringing the ball up after scoring he was right there trying to swipe it back immediately and The energy that that brings, that's something that even if the scoring is lagging behind is something that, I mean, it's probably why he earned the starting out of camp is the energy there. And for Corey Allen, he was doing a lot of driving tonight. He ended up taking seven threes anyways, two of seven. Uh, Again, the shot will come, but he was also driving and dishing and he was doing a lot of good. And coach Lanier also singled that out that he thought he was playing unselfish when a guy in his situation could have pressed and could have really made it to him show and that he didn't. So when the shots come for them, when they find their shot again after sitting out, they can really, really contribute. But even now, even while they're still playing through that, they've shown that they can offer something.
0: So their next question is, how will GSU's three-point shooting fare without Devin, Jeff, and Malik?
1: The short answer, based on the small sample size we have, is it'll be fine. Uh... Obviously, Damon Wilson's not going to shoot 100% on the year. Uh, don't cite me on that because I guess it could happen. But Damon, Kane, and Nelson all had good shooting nights and looked comfortable shooting. Like it, the shot looks like sometimes you can see a guy shooting and you're like, oh, there's no way that's going to go in consistently just because the motion's weird. they just all look comfortable shooting. Uh, it was definitely going to be a step forward for Kane and Nelson to up their games to add that consistent three-point shot and it looks like they definitely took that to heart and it looks like they definitely worked on that in the offseason and that's just the guys who you know could have offered more in that game I Corey Allen we just talked about is be a factor in the three-point game Kevante Ivory who we talked about earlier is going to be and so I think that there's a lot of options and I think Coach Lanier wants there to be the, the ball movement, the constant flipping of the court, and, and it's going to lead to some open looks. It's not necessarily going to be the same offense uh, in a good way, I think, where there felt like there were times where Georgia State was sitting on the three and looking for the three and as would force it whenever they had the space. And sometimes it led to bad shots getting put up. It feels like there's a little more of a patient offense here uh, where It's going to still be a factor because it's 2019 NCAA basketball, but it's not going to be the emphasis. It's going to be, if that's the shot that we get, that's the shot we get. And I think there's a lot of guys that can shoot it on the roster.
0: All right. And their final question is, what are your expectations for the women's team with so many young players? So if you uh, go back on our website and read the game summary that I put up on Tuesday, uh, I do note that, The women's team is extremely young. Uh, Only four players returned on the squad, 11 newcomers, six of whom are freshmen. There's not really any way to sugarcoat it. The team is very young and lacking in experience, but there's a lot of really solid freshman contributors on this team, Uh, specifically Taylor Henderson and Cameron Zayak. I believe that's the correct pronunciation of that name. Had pretty good performances on Tuesday. Uh, Henderson put up 13 points Three rebounds, four assists, and Zayak put up uh, four three-pointers at team high and also contributed one rebound, one steal for 12 points. Uh, The overall team performance was not super strong, but I don't think it's fair to write off the team just yet. Uh, It's only their second game, and it's a very difficult out-of-conference schedule for the women this year. Their next game is going to be Florida International, uh, also the Panthers, uh, hosting that on 11-11 at 1 p.m. at the GSU Sports Arena. Uh, I think we're going to have to see, wait and see what happens with a lot of these new players. Of course, it takes a lot of time, as we talked about a little bit with regard to the men's team. It takes a lot of time to adjust to uh, a new roster with over 70% turnover. Like That's extremely difficult to get in the flow of things in the second game when you have that much turnover. I think the team will be fine especially if the freshman newcomers continue to contribute how they have in the past couple games.
1: We saw last year making a parallel to another sport. The football team was young and struggled, and this year some of the guys that struggled have come on and played better, and it seemed like the experience helped them. So even in a year of struggle, if it means something, and even if there's losses, and even if it's a struggle for the women's team, if they get that experience that can at least be something to build on in the future. And that can be something to look forward to. Uh, Belt's not a bad league in women's basketball, especially at the top. So it's tricky to just kind of coast with this lack of experience. It might come back to bite you in conference play, but let it ride, get the freshmen in there. Definitely the right way with letting these freshmen play, um, getting them in the program rather than trying to put some band-aids on with, you know, a ton
0: of JUCO players. So We'll see how it plays out for Coach Hill and company. So thank you, Cardigan D, for those questions. And thank you to everyone who submits questions week in, week out. Keep them coming. Don't be afraid to uh, get them in early. We we do monitor the feed and we take a look at them and think about what our answers are going to be. We won't Um, forget about you. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, after the bye week, football is back. Football is back.
1: Uh, this is going to be an interesting game just for the fact that there is a game. And that's nice to have Georgia State's on the road at ULM. And the first thing that jumps out is on just a very base level, Georgia State and ULM's offenses are not that different. They're pretty similar. Just looking at starters, you know, there's a dual threat senior quarterback ULM Caleb Evans for Georgia State. That's Dan Ellington. They've got a workhorse running back who does a bulk of their running. Josh Johnson, he's got 849 yards on the year. For Georgia State, that's Trey Barnett. He's got 928 on the year, but who's counting? Well, us. (laughs) Um, The difference has just been, I mean, if you look at their yards per play on the year, it's 5.94, and Georgia State is at 6.05. So the difference there is negligible. That's basically the same, you know, A difference at that level. I mean, but the difference is Georgia State's at 36.6 points per game and ULM's at 28 points per game. So there's there's a disconnect where they're just not having the same success. But that's not to say they can't have it on Saturday.
0: So taking a look at the conference aggregate statistics right now, uh, ULM is fourth in the conference in passing offense and Georgia State is fifth. Uh, Almost identical stats save for a few small differences average yards uh, per game passing offense ulm is at 223.6 georgia state is at 221.4 uh 159 completions for the warhawks 158 for the panthers uh that's not good well it's it's not terrible especially considering how much georgia state likes to run the ball but it does scare me a little bit
1: well i i would say that hypothesizing that maybe the difference between the eight points per game difference between the two teams, part of it might just be down to how much better Georgia state is running the ball than ULM. Um, And and I think that that's, uh, I think that's where I would watch on Saturday Um, not to totally just kneecap what you're about to say, Um, but it would be interesting. Georgia state's had some more success in rush defense. Um, Their numbers are still a little bit, Uh, hurt by giving up 450 on the ground to to, uh, Western Michigan. But in conference, they're actually the best rush defense in the conference, just in conference games, if that's all you're counting. Uh, And so how much of that has been Georgia State has played some of the worst rushing offenses in the league and how much of that has been improvement? And so that's going to be something to watch because this is kind of the first team... Georgia State will have played in a while. They can kind of do both on offense. And you've stopped the rush, but you haven't faced Josh Johnson and you haven't faced a dual threat quarterback like this in a while. And while you have one of your own, it's not going to be the same until you line up on Saturday and you see how you can stop him because very good chance he's going to try and do a lot of the same thing Dan does. It's a good chance they're going to run some option looks where they're trying to get him out in space. They're trying to make guys pick. Whether they're defending the running back or the quarterback, and for first drive of the game against Arkansas State last game, Evans popped off a sixty-seven-yard touchdown run. So it's going to be an important thing to keep that rush defense going because you've been gashed by some big pass plays recent weeks. The uh, Troy game, that's where the the real you know negative stood out was a lot of busted coverages leading to big plays. So if you at least keep the rush defense going and whatever factor that plays in keeping ULM off the field, the better that you're going to have a chance to succeed. And then switching over to the defensive side for ULM. um, There's no real way to sugarcoat this. Uh, ULM's defense has been bad in 2019. Uh, They're giving up over 38 points per game. And it's been a lot of life-sided scores. Uh, Whereas with Georgia State, you can at least point to one number – the 57 against Western Michigan that looks really bad. The grand totals, uh, the you know, non-greatest hits of ULM's defense this year is they gave up 45 to FSU, Florida State. They gave up 72 to Iowa State, uh, which Ooh. is the most eye-popping <laughs> of them. 52 to Memphis, which, hey, giving up a bunch of points to, that offense isn't necessarily any, like an indictment of your team. Memphis has a really good offense, but 52 is still a large number. 52 against Appalachian State, and then 48 against Arkansas State. Uh, There's an opportunity there for Georgia State's offense, given that they have had a lot of success, especially recently. Uh, The one thing that you can say about ULM is all those numbers are bad, and on the whole, there's not a lot of good defensive numbers for them. Their turnover numbers on defense are confusingly great. They forced 15 on the year. Uh, and that's, I guess, kept them in some games. I mean, with the defensive numbers as bad as they are, you would expect that the record would be something like what Georgia State's was last year when Georgia State had a similarly bad defense. But I think the turnovers, it's keeping them afloat, and especially whenever it can work in synergy with when their offense has been explosive. Um, The key factor for them on the turnover side has been who might be the best defensive back in the Sun Belt, Corey Strotter. He has five interceptions on the year and seven pass breakups. Uh, Total lockdown corner. I'm going to be interested to see what they do with him. Uh, He had exited last game for them with an injury, so I guess we don't know for for sure that he's playing, but we're not doctors. We can't diagnose, assuming that the coaching staff for Georgia State is going to plan on him being out there. And I'm curious to see whether he covers the side of the field, or whether they put him on Cornelius McCoy in pass defense, or they put him on Sam Pickney in pass defense. Uh, it'll be something to watch out for. But he's kind of the big deal for their defense. Legit player uh, seeks out the ball, and uh, that's going to be kind of the key for them on defense. Uh, if Georgia State plays a clean game and doesn't turn the ball over, uh, nothing and you. ULM's defense history this year in 2019 tells me that Georgia state's going to get stopped a ton. It just, it feels like unless Georgia state is turning the ball over, it's going to be a situation where they're kind of naming their score. Um, that's not to say it's a definite win just on that side of the ball. Cause Georgia state still has to play defense. But the thing that might decide this game for me is turnovers for Georgia state, because if they aren't turning it over, which they haven't really been doing on this win streak, then I just, I don't know. It's really going to hurt ULM's chances.
0: So we've talked about uh, ULM both offensively and defensively. Uh, What do you think the biggest key is for Georgia State's offense uh, coming out of the bye week and going down into Monroe to hopefully secure a fifth straight win?
1: So getting off the bus physically and rhetorically, I would imagine that the team especially the offense, you know, wanted to line up, play again on Tuesday after the Troy game because they were playing on a high, had a great game, broke the school rushing record again, uh, and they had a bye week. And that can mess up with the rhythm, especially since it's a road game and you're having to travel and deal with all that stuff. So none of this is a gimme, even with all I said about what the defensive numbers have been for ULM, because if the offense isn't in sync like they have been, you might see an effort like against Texas state where there were just key lapses and key mistakes and situations that cost you the game. It cost you points. And I think that's really what I'm going to watch on because Thursday night podcast has loved a lot on the offense and for good measure. And so I could keep extolling the virtues of what the offense has done. And, you know, it's fun to do, but the truth is is that factor hasn't changed since the last time we talked about it but what's changed is the time off and really going to be important is just keeping it simple and executing assignments and just you know pick up where you left off because the goals are still in front of you for the season and you know the the what the history of been in the app state game and what the rivalry means for the georgia southern game and the south alabama game senior night you know senior day whenever it played um this feels like the last real time where there's not like a built-in like get up for this game thing. And especially because it's a team you've the last two years. So the most dangerous thing they can do is sleepwalk in this game because ULM's still not bowl eligible. They're really in a rough place to do so. They they're three and five right now. And they have or just stayed at home. They have Coastal Carolina at home. And then they're on the road at Georgia Southern and at Louisiana Lafayette. So realistically, they need to sweep their home games they have left and you know do their best to upset a team they shouldn't on the road to get to six wins and possibly go to a bowl. Uh, They have a lot of skin in this game, and Georgia State does too because they basically need to win out to ensure that they get the Sunbelt title they want. But week to week, it's a little harder to feel that when – this isn't the game that is jumping out to you. You're you're looking at App State and ULM played last week. They're not coming off a buy. So for all of these reasons, and again, the fact that you're probably chartering, bussing over from some place to Monroe, Louisiana. I don't know what the closest place would be, whereas they're the home team. I think that the biggest thing is just going to be playing your game and not letting all of the external factors and the time off affect your play.
0: I think the bye week worked out really well for Georgia State earlier in the season, but then again, that was after two disappointing and crushing losses on the road. I think, uh, as you alluded to earlier, it's going to be very important for the team to have the right mindset, but honestly, watching the team play the last four games, I don't think it's going to be much of an issue if they could just go down there and take care of business.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of an, you know not desired time for the bye week, whereas... After that bad Texas State loss, it was a really good reset. This is not a good time for a reset. Um, But, you know, you don't make the schedule, so you play the schedule. And it's a team, Georgia State in recent weeks has been the aggressor to start games, starting with the Arkansas State game where they jumped out to a three-score lead. And that was actually ULM last week. Against Arkansas State, they jumped out to a 21-3 lead and then lost the game. Eventually they crazy sequence led to basically three Arkansas state scores in quick succession. And they never gave back the lead. And especially with all that they've got riding on this game, I'm sure they're going to come out fired up. But if Georgia state does meet the test and does show up and gets out early, especially the way they play. And especially that the offense is able to add on. It might be a situation where, no matter what the defense does, and I'll get back to them in a second, uh, but no matter what the Georgia State defense does, if the offense gets a head start, it might be a situation like last game against Troy where Troy just couldn't
0: come back. Yeah, the offense tends to get rolling, and uh, let's hope they roll this weekend.
1: Yeah, the last thing, uh, just specifically on the Georgia State defense, a couple of things that I'd be looking for. I Evans and containing him earlier, that's really the most important thing just because We've seen how dynamic Dan is, and how much trouble other defenses have with Dan, and it's kind of the same thing with K. Evans. He does both really well. Um, and the other thing I'd mention is that Georgia State had probably their best pass rush game last game against Troy and sacks. And it's going to be important to keep him uncomfortable in the pocket when they are pass plays, and when you get to him, bring him down, get the sack. Don't let him get away because he's shifty in the pocket. Uh, He's given up 11 sacks on the year, which is a number. Uh, It's not that many. Uh, They're not putting him in trouble situations a lot. So it might be a thing where you get three shots at him and you're going to want to get sacks every time you do get a chance because those can be drive killers and you might not get that many opportunities.
0: Moving on into this next segment, we're going to take a look at some of the other games going on of relevance to Georgia State in the Sunbelt East division. Uh, we've got Georgia Southern at Troy this week, and we also have Appalachian State at South Carolina.
1: Yeah, this is a new-ish segment. We're going to try and instill pretty much every week for the rest of the year, just because these teams are all at one loss in the Sunbelt East. And it's going to basically come down to who among these teams wins out, or if no one wins out, who loses the least you know so it's, it's going to be important for georgia state fans to keep tabs on these games and so we're just kind of kind of set it we're def- definitely not going to go anywhere near as in depth as we do for the georgia state stuff but just giving a baseline mentioning who's playing who among the things that matter to georgia state and so georgia southern's at troy and georgia southern is coming off a big win they went up to state beat ranked app state it's a rivalry game for them. And anytime they get to bring down their rivals like that, of which there's a history of each of them doing that to each other in that rivalry. Big deal. Uh, the two previous time the guy has gone and beaten the guy, the ranked team in the Sunbelt, that team who won has lost the next time they played. And so that was Georgia Southern last year. They went up, beat up, or went out in Statesboro and beat up, and then they lost the next week to believe ULM. And so there is something to that, I think, because I think you're on a high and you got to go on the road. And so I think that there's some trappy nature of this game for Georgia Southern. And we saw that Troy offense play that Troy offense is legit. And the defense has some issues, but it's not a bad matchup. If you're interested in Georgia Southern losing, which rivalry aside, Georgia state is uh, the rest of the way just for some out East purposes. And that's just because, Georgia Southern's offense has gotten better, but it's still not churning like Georgia State's has been in recent weeks or, you know, they're not a national power offensively. And so while Troy's had some issues there, if their pass attack can do something and Southern offense isn't, you know, beating the world, it's a it's a tricky game for them. And this would be a big opportunity for Georgia State to pick up a game on them. And then the other game this week doesn't actually have any Sunbelt East implications because App State's playing non-conference at SEC team, South Carolina. So I just wanted to ask you, Jordan, hmm. where do you fall on if they win, they're coming in off of playing and winning against an SEC team. If they lose, they're coming in playing Georgia State off of two straight losses. Where would you rather face App State?
0: So I think there's a couple different ways you could take this Uh so I think the first kind of obvious angle you could approach is, yes, App State dropped out of the top 25 in the AP and coaches poll uh, this past week because they lost to Southern. But South Carolina is not a world beating team. But if you beat an SEC team after being so closely, ju- I think just out of the top 25, they were receiving a couple votes and the are There's somewhere in the. Yeah, I think they right were 30
1: in one. I think they were 28 in the other.
0: If you go and you beat South Carolina at South Carolina, it's possible, depending on what other movement and shifting occurs in the uh, bottom half of the top 25, that they could come into Georgia State Stadium on the 16th ranked. And that would be, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the first time Georgia State has ever hosted a ranked team were that to happen. And App State certainly is not an unbeatable team. So just selfishly, as a Georgia State fan and someone who's seen the team pretty much the entire time they've existed and the the rise if you will it would be a very interesting very cool moment to host a ranked conference opponent and potentially be in a good position to beat them at home and set up Georgia State to have a very very successful end of the season but that being said if they go in and beat an SEC team they're not scrubs So if you come off of a big win, App State's going to be fired up. Georgia State's players, of course, are going to be fired up, having the opportunity to ostensibly a ranked team come in and possibly beat them at home. But an App State team coming off of two losses, I think, would almost be more dangerous to play because this is not an Appalachian State team that's used to losing. In the past couple seasons, they've I don't think have lost more than, what, two games in one season basically since joining the FBS ranks. I don't know if I want to face them as a uh, Georgia State team. I don't know if I would want to face Appalachian State having just lost two in a row to a bitter-hated rival and to a South Carolina team that, on paper, they should beat. So I think uh, I would have to take them coming in off of a big win, personally. But uh, we're going to have to see how this uh, next game plays out.
1: I would land on the same way. Uh, I will admit that I hadn't necessarily even considered the possibility of them getting re-ranked, and that that would re- reset the the good that playing a ranked team at home would have been. So good on you for that. Uh, I would I would just lean into the second part that you know, you know, the old Incredible Hulk. You wouldn't want me when I'm angry, and I definitely <laughs> think playing a team off of a win, especially a big win, for the same reasons we just spelled out for the Southern Troy game. I'd rather that and avoid, you know, pissed app state off of two straight losses and all that that entails. Not to mention app state winning this game is good for the conference and anything's yes. good for the conference, you know. It it does raise Georgia state and the conference affiliates along with app state in a way. I mean, obviously it's not the same. It's not like we're going to credit claim for such a win, but it's helpful for the Sun Belt. And so I would definitely, on all accounts, lean towards go
0: win this game, AppState. State. It's also worth mentioning that we said something similar about playing Army. After Army, who took ranked Michigan to overtime previously this season, came into Georgia State Stadium, having dropped two games prior, Georgia State really didn't have much of a problem handling them. Now, granted, Army and App State are completely different teams, but I don't think it's necessarily a, a death knell for the outcome of this game if App State comes in having just lost two in a row. Still oh, wouldn't no. prefer oh, that no. to happen, though.
1: I think at the end of the day, you know, this stuff is very on the margins, and it probably doesn't really matter, but it's fun to talk about and ton to uh,
0: dig into. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as @ThursdayNight or via email at thursdaynightgmail.com. at gmail.com.